I got that fire. It is episode seven of For Our Edification. Welcome to this episode of For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis. The co-pilot is Halima. And um, this podcast is all about identity and value. And what I mean is we love to talk about uh, what makes us special, the best part of ourselves, and, and how things affect the best part of who we are, and value, how we influence the people around us namely in a positive sense, but uh, there are obviously, this is episode seven, so there are six episodes before this one, and I highly recommend that you check out episodes five and six. It's a two-part conversation that Halima and I have about her doctoral journey and how that influenced her identity and value, who she was before she started the thing, who she turned out to be, all that good stuff. And thank you very much, by the way, uh, for downloading on Podbean which is home base um, but then also if you download it on iTunes or Google Play really appreciate it rate the podcast give us some feedback we would appreciate it in early 2019 two documentaries came out and boy I gotta tell you social media was a buzz and they were the documentaries for the um, <laughs> infamous <laughs> fire festival the Hulu documentary was called Fire Fraud. The Netflix documentary was called Fire, the Greatest Party That Never Happened. And I checked out both of them. If you don't know what Fire Fest uh, was supposed to be, it was supposed to be this luxury music festival. Now, the event happened, but it wasn't quite luxury. And the center of this is the um, founder of the company Fire, Billy McFarlane. Now, and by the way, the, the co-founder, I should say, he's a co-founder and the other co-founder would be Ja Rule. Why am I so interested in this? The reason I'm interested in it is in my professional life, I have encountered narcissistic leaders. And that's what I really, really want to talk about uh, as far as McFarlane is concerned. He dripped of being a narcissistic leader. And I got to tell you, there's some things that we got to talk about. But the other reason I took such an interest in this, I'm not just somebody who just looked at um, narcissism on Wikipedia. I'm actually researching narcissism and leadership uh, for my master's degree. So having done all of this reading, I saw some stuff that I think you'd be very interested in. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. So just to get a couple of points out of the way, and uh, these are very important. First of all, I, I really, really want to make it clear that I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a clinician. What I'm about to talk about is based on academic research. Um, the other thing that I want to make clear is that I'm, ne I'm not necessarily doing this to assassinate Billy McFarlane's character. Um, I'm really basing what I'm saying on how he was portrayed in the documentary, or at least his actions were portrayed. And the third thing is uh, that uh, since this is a commentary that's built a lot on um, uh, academic research, uh, there are some citations uh, that you will see, and these citations are in the podcast description. Now, let's start with a definition. Um, you probably know that the word narcissism comes from mythology, the story of Narcissus. And if you love mythology, you probably know the story. You probably love the story. Who cannot resist a great mythological story, right? Or a great myth. And in the myth of Narcissus, he was a man of striking beauty. And in one version, he rejected the love of a young man named Aminius. I think that's the way it's pronounced. In the other, he rejected the love of the nymph Echo. But both versions, and there are other versions of uh, the, the uh, myth of Narcissus, but in both versions, he arrives at a body of water. He gazes into the water and sees his reflection. And he is so struck by his own beauty that he just gazes and gazes and gazes 
until eventually he perishes. So, obviously, that's where the term narcissism comes from. And when we talk about the personality type that is narcissism, what characteristics define this type? Well, one would be vanity, but the other would be this sense of grandiosity, uh, self-importance, and obsession with power or status, manipulation, entitlement. Um, uh, and then also, there's the vulnerable part of this uh, personality, uh, resentment, lack of empathy, defensiveness, bullying, um, just a very volatile personality. And there are experts of narcissism who look at different types of narcissism. Now, the three that I actually kind of like are classic, uh, vulnerable and malignant. And uh, the reason is because it lays them out very neatly. Classic narcissism is basically the look at me, look at me, look at me narcissism, right? Uh, may or may not hurt people, but more than anything else, their priority is the spotlight and, and is grandiosity. They can be quite exhibitionist. And then there's also the vulnerable narcissist. Now they might not necessarily be in the, into the spotlight, but they definitely believe that they are somehow superior to other people. And then there's malignant narcissism. And this is the one that I'm kind of researching as far as uh, leadership is concerned. But um, the behavior is toxic. This is where the bullying comes in. They like to control people. They like to, to control situations. This is where you really hear the words manipulative, liar, all that other good stuff. And I've definitely worked for some combination of these three types of narcissists. It is not fun. And for the purposes of this commentary, um, I'm actually going to base a lot of what I'm talking about on what's called the narcissism spectrum model. Now, there is uh, there's an article written about this model um, for the Personality and Social Psychology Review, which is cited on the uh, description of the podcast. But what this model suggests is that narcissism has three parts. Um, that would be grandiosity, self-importance and vulnerability. What happens is that although these three parts are separate, a person tends to oscillate like an oscillating fan, right? They, they tend to float from one trait to another trait, and you're never quite sure which one you're going to get. And I think that's what makes working for a narcissist so problematic. And that is exactly why I want to do this commentary. When people work for narcissistic leaders. And I can say this personally, I, I, I can say this from experience. Um, if you're not really sure, and if you're not ready for it, then you could actually wind up yourself going into a bit of a downward spiral. So I got to this point where I was unsure of myself. I thought there were things that I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought that I, I thought I was horrible basically uh, at my job at one point. Um, I, I kept second guessing myself. Um, and then also, um, I became kind of feisty. I became fussy. I, I, I would, and I didn't trust anybody. I did not trust anybody. And so that's not good for you. If you feel that you have worked for this type of person and you experience this self doubt or this imposter syndrome or, or, or something like it, then you're not imagining things because a big part of working for a narcissistic leader, especially when it comes to that manipulation, is that they'll get you to, to a point where you actually think you're imagining things and you're just making stuff up. Um, and so it's important for you to really monitor yourself because here's the deal. There are so many industries where I think the narcissistic leader is very prominent, very present, upfront, and and people um, just flock to this person because they think he or she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And what happens is that they find out on the back end that they've been dealing with someone with, with some issues. And so obviously one of the issues, one of the industries I should say, where we are obviously going to see a lot of narcissists would be uh, entertainment and media. I started my career in entertainment and media and boy, let me tell you, but I've also worked in higher ed 
<laughs> there, there are a lot of narcissists in higher ed. Um, and then obviously professional athletics, uh, the tech industry, I suspect is a place where you see a lot of vulnerable narcissists. Uh, they may not necessarily want to be in that spotlight, but when they get called to the carpet on issues, they don't like it one bit. They don't like it one bit whatsoever. Uh, obviously, duh, government and law is where we see a lot of narcissists. Um, business and entrepreneurship, not necessarily the kind of business is what makes a difference, but the fact that this person is in business and is an entrepreneur um, is that's where that's where I, I suspect we see a lot, a lot of narcissism as well. And then the other place where I suspect we see a lot of narcissistic leadership and <laughs> some of y'all going to have to sit down for this one and others, you're not going to like it at all. The faith community. Yep. Spiritual leaders. Mm, 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 mm. Hey, listen, David Koresh, Jim Jones. I mean, you know, it could go on and on and on and on and on. So with all of that being said, here's some very important points uh, before I really launch into the fire fest commentary. Narcissism is a complicated personality type. If you think that you're dealing with one as a leader, you are most likely not going to figure everything out in one sitting. It's not going out to the bar, having a drink with your coworkers and everybody putting those together and saying, yeah, this is what we're going to do. These are crafty people, but they're also volatile. And so it is complicated. There are initial signs that I'm going to talk about that will get you ready to deal with it. However, here's what you need to understand. Being in control of yourself is the thing when dealing with a narcissistic leader because you're not going to control them. Because I am better. Thank you for downloading the For Our Edification podcast. I'm Eddie Francis. So I love both of the documentaries um, on Hulu and Netflix about Firefest. Um, and what I found really interesting was the focus of both documentaries. Now, the subject, obviously, Billy McFarlane. But the focus of the Hulu documentary was really interesting because it focused on a community. It focused on the millennial generation. Um, and what blew me away in that documentary, and I, and I know I'm, I, <laughs> I mean, you can probably tell how old I am. But what really blew me away in the documentary was FOMO, fear of missing out. So, <laughs> so... The fact that you had this narcissistic leader who was able to take advantage of a community's narcissism, in my opinion, was really interesting to me. But then the Netflix documentary is really what I'm basing most of the commentary on because the Netflix documentary really focused on how McFarlane's actions um, adversely affected the staff and the, the supporters of Firefest. So what really stood out to me about McFarlane out of everything that happened between both documentaries, the first thing, and, and let's align this with the narcissism spectrum model, the, the first thing was the grandiosity. Um, first of all, the idea of Firefest being an event with um, a beautiful location, uh, beautiful people, beautiful music. Ja Rule, who is not exempt from this narcissism thing, uh, Ja Rule described Firefest as the cultural experience of a decade. Oh, I'm sorry. The cultural experience of a decade. Um, and then you had McFarlane who said, we're selling a pipe dream to the average loser. Now, the loser part of that sentence is, is bad. However, what stood out to me in that sentence is pipe dream. The images of yachts, jet skis, private jets, the Maserati, the obsession with Pablo Escobar's island, the obsession with being associated with the biggest social media influencers. And then Hulu described Firefest as a utopian concept. The other thing that, uh, that stood out to me was the fact that McFarland got hooked on the idea. My experience with narcissistic, narcissistic leaders, easier for me to say, is that they really get hooked on something. And when they get hooked, they get hooked bad. And so you have this event 
but then it could be a status that they want an organization to reach. It could be a project. It's something that they are going to really, really get hooked on because of what it's going to do for their status. However, however, it's going to be presented to the people in the organization as something that's good for all of us. We going to eat, right? Um, and they, they really paint this promise of big dreams, a big vision, which I'll get to in just a second. Now, the other thing that stood out to me was the insistence of a camera being present for McFarlane. Um, in the Hulu documentary, it was really funny to me that he decided to be interviewed for that documentary because all I could think to myself was having been a public relations director under a couple of narcissists. Um, the thing that really ran through my head was, I wonder how many PR people he didn't hire or fired because they said, do not, do not get on camera with the trouble that you're in right now. I just wonder. Um, but then the interesting thing was also to me, the insistence of a camera being present when he was with Magnesis. Um, and then also the insistence of having a documentary about his comeback from the failed fire fest. That was really interesting to me. One thing I've noticed about narcissistic leaders is that they are obsessed with media. And once they get access to media, it is all over because media is their megaphone. It's their voice. Social media, you know, McFarland's obsession with social media really stood out to me as well. Um, his wanting to uh, wanting to be associated with the biggest influencers. Uh, look at how 45 uses social media. Uh, and, and there is one uh, narcissism expert uh, whose work I really, I really like. Uh, her name is Dr. Romani. Uh, there's a link to her information on the podcast description. But um, she once described social media as a new language. And she talks a lot about how narcissists use social media and they 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 use it as a way to plead their case, to communicate whatever they have to communicate. Um, they use it to divide or they use it to create a cult. They do whatever they got to do. But let's think about another person, another narcissist who tried to use media to plead his case and it didn't work out so well. Ara Kelly, um, Robert, why did you do that interview with Gail King? With, with all of the stuff going on with you, you knew this wasn't going to work out well for you. Did you really think that you were going to be able to manipulate the situation with a seasoned journalist who, by the way, is a sister <laughs> and not just any sister. She is a seasoned sister. Right. So, I, you know, duh, do, you know. And, and so getting back to McFarlane, the other thing that stood out to me were the uh, terms that we used to describe and charismatic. Charismatic is a term that is often used to describe narcissists, if not always uh, a salesman. He, in, in one documentary, he was described as the world's greatest salesman and another one, uh, the ultimate car salesman. But here's another big one, and that is visionary. Let's pause on visionary for a second, um, because this is this is really this is really key here. Narcissists like to use certain styles of leadership. Now, they may consciously do it or they may not consciously do it. But the two that I've seen and the two that I've read about most often being used by narcissists are visionary leadership um, and transformational leadership. Now, visionary leadership to me is the big one. And the reason that one is so big is what is required to execute great visionary leadership. And it's in and visionary leadership is, is, is almost tailor made for narcissists. So according to one researcher uh, named Gail Avery, whose work I've read, um, she actually talks about these different paradigms of leadership. And when it comes to visionary leadership, she points out that in order for visionary leadership to work, the leader needs an in-group, right? 
um, and that in-group buys into what the leader is doing, and then boom, you can make some stuff happen. And so we see visionary leadership used a lot. It, visionary leadership is, is something that's probably being used in a company you work for, an organization that you uh, belong to, and it's probably being done so well and you probably have a great leader who's carrying out the vision and you trust this person. This person is giving you every reason to trust them and everything is working out fine. However, for a narcissist, this is really a big component of manipulation because with visionary leadership, they are able to take their vision. So Firefest, right, for example, and paint it as this beautiful thing that everybody is going to benefit from. We are all going to benefit from this thing. Everybody in this room, this is going to be big. This is going to be huge. But in order to make it happen, people have to buy in. If people don't buy in, the vision is going to happen, right? Well, what happens is that the, um, the, the narcissistic leader needs a crew. And in that crew, you have for Billy McFarlane, Ja Rule, and Grant Margolin. We'll get to Grant Margolin in just a little bit. Ja Rule, though, is someone who kind of he kind of jumped in. He bought into it. He dipped, um, at least as far as the documentaries are concerned. He just he was just kind of not seen until like the end of the Netflix documentary. Uh, but then Grant Margolin was kind of the henchman in this thing. And I've seen that model before from a narcissistic leader where there's a henchman assigned. And um, what happens is that. In order to get the vision going, you get the you get the in group, the click, the crew, whatever you want to call them. And they're the ones who push, push, push until this happens. But it's very important to remember that this does not happen unless there is buy in. It's the four hour edification podcast. I'm Eddie Francis, and we are talking about fire fest and all the signs of narcissistic leadership that you can look out for if you think you're working for a narcissist now the second part of the narcissism spectrum model is self-importance and the researchers who came up with this model wrote that quote um it anchors on self-importance and entitlement and so what started off is this big vision this big grandiose vision where we are all going to benefit everybody's going to eat, right? It's, it's going to be the biggest thing that we have ever experienced in our lives. What starts out as that becomes mine. Mine, 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 mine. This is where as an organizational member, when you see this shift from our to mine, be alert. Be alert and stay on top of your game. And this is where I would tell you, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. It is one big narcissistic duck. And um, with this point uh, of the spectrum of self-importance, what you start to see from my experience is give me what I want. You see, everything flips. The big vision, the, the party the events, the status that the organization is reaching for and that we are all going to benefit from, it all flips when people start asking questions and raising concerns. And that's when you become an enemy of the state. But as far as McFarland was concerned, with this part, here's what stood out with the self-importance. Um, there was one of his staffers from Fire, from the Netflix documentary, who said that Fireflex, Firefest became basically about him. It became, it became something that was very important to him. And so what happened? He started creating these roadblocks for anybody who raised any sort of concern. It was a big roadblock. And if he didn't create a roadblock, he got rid of them. And all people had to do was ask some simple questions. They, they didn't really have to do much. They didn't have to have any kind of 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 bad intention or anything toward them. They, they were just asking questions because people are going, okay, listen, if this is going to work, this is what we got to do. And it doesn't matter if you're an expert. It does not matter. You could be an expert. This person is going to reach into your department because here's what happened with Margolin. Take note of this. All right. So first of all, big sign. And this was at the beginning of the Netflix documentary or toward the beginning where the video crew said there were no rules and they had no authority. That was such a big sign. Um, he ignored practical feedback, right? 
Um, you remember Keith, the pilot from the Netflix documentary? And so here's the funny thing. Let me let me backtrack one quick second. So the funny thing is, and I've seen this happen, a narcissistic leader will put somebody in charge of some sort of duty that they may not have any, they might not have any experience for, right? They 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 haven't done it before. They might not even have the skill set or the competence, but they're gonna make them do it, right? So you have the one person, the one staffer, Samuel Crost, uh, across I don't know how he pronounces his name, um, who was in part who was put in charge of the music lineup. He said he knew nothing about music lineups. You had Grant Margolin. He was put in charge of the event coordination. He had never done event coordination. You had Keith the pilot. Keith the pilot said he was a pilot. What did Keith the pilot become? He became he became head of logistics. But then he got fired when he started to raise concerns about the infrastructure of Pablo Escobar's island. Um, what else did McFarland do? He ignored the timeline needed to make the event happen. Big tell, big, big, big tell. He ignored the directive not to mention Pablo Escobar's island in the promotion. He fired the caterers. He fired the social media team. Um, he began handling the finances himself, and that is a huge sign. Let me get back to this thing about being an expert in your area. Doing PR for a narcissist was such a pain for me. It was a huge pain because here I am. Here I am. I, I, I've been in media. I know how media operates. But then I have this joke of reaching into my stuff saying, no, you're not doing this right. No, this is what I want. No, this is not the way it's going to work. No, 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 Right? You could, have, you could have all the expertise in the world. And what this narcissistic leader is going to do, once they start to get into that part of the spectrum where self-importance starts to really hit, you know, like you have a, a drink and then it hits just right in your chest. You know what I'm saying? So this this is where they drink more than narcissist juice and then it boom, it hits just right in their chest. And they decide that you don't know anything about money. So they start dipping their hands into your department and they start messing with all your stuff. Um, and then the other thing about McFarland in particular, the strain that he put on the fire staff, the strain that he put on the laborers of the island of Exuma. Um, when the, and then here was the biggest thing for me. Oh, my goodness. I caught a flashback when this dude said this. When the staff brought up concerns and he said, we're not problems focused, we're solutions focused. Boy, I could have stretched out on the floor. But no, but no. See, I would have just stretched out on the floor. Now, let me tell you what. I would have stretched out on the floor and had my arms and legs all in different directions. When this dude said on the Hulu documentary, so many things had to go right for it to go wrong. Man, are you kidding me? I have heard that kind of logic before. Is it logical? It's not rational, but it is definitely a narcissistic leader's rationale. So many things had to go right for it to go wrong. <laughs> so what he was basically saying was, I had it all together. It was working the way I wanted to do it, but nobody would listen to me. It was all going right. If everybody had just followed my plan. We, we would have had the biggest festival in the history of festivals. But then the ultimate sign that you are dealing with a narcissistic leader, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to this self-importance and this self-importance part of the spectrum is extremely important because this is when all the signs, this is when you get all the signs. Um, when you when you're kept in the dark, when the leader starts keeping you in the dark about a whole bunch of very important stuff. In the Hulu documentary, they mentioned that he started keeping the Magnesis staff in the dark. In the Netflix documentary, they mentioned that he started keeping the fire staff in the dark. Um, and so the terms that start to be used to describe uh, McFarlane at this point are not so kind. You start to hear delusional, wouldn't take advice, <laughs> manipulative, and liar. Thank you for downloading uh, this edition of For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis. Now, in the narcissism spectrum model, the third part is um, vulnerability. And while I know that the self-importance part is important, this is where I think narcissists become dangerous. Um, when, when they start to feel vulnerable, the, volatil the volatility of their personalities really, really start to stand out because... By this time, organizational members can see that they're in big trouble. Um, this is where the narcissistic leader becomes really defensive. 
doesn't like it starts to starts to really express that they don't like people questioning them they they start to say stuff like if everybody would just go with the plan if why doesn't everybody just trust me and what happens with this defensiveness this resentment from my experience is chaos now research also shows that narcissistic leaders really like to cause chaos at a certain point and the point in which they like to start causing this chaos if we step back really quickly to the uh self-importance part of the spectrum where um they don't like to be questioned and we pointed out that um they start to kind of dip into your stuff and your into your department into your business whatever your business is within that business um the chaos starts when they want to come in they want to control what's happening in your area and when you don't do what they want to do especially if you're asking questions to make sure that the organization is okay to make sure that people are okay when you start to ask questions and they don't like that the chaos starts when they start to pit one person against another person listen eddie won't eddie won't do what i'm asking him to do so since he won't do it here's what i need you to do it's, it's very simple it's very simple because if you do this we are going to go next level all right we are going to go next level so that's all i need you to do so you go ahead and you do it right now the thing is is i'm sitting in my department and I have no idea that the narcissistic leader is going to somebody else because they hacked off with me because I asked a couple of questions. So they go to somebody else and they start asking somebody else to do what, you, you know, what I would not do because I'm sitting here going, this is against my principles. This is against my ethics. I'm not going to do this. Right. And so I find out that you do it. Now, if I'm not on my P's and Q's, if my emotional intelligence is not present, I'm, I'm angry at you. Why did you do that? Do you have any idea what this is going to do to the company? Do you have any idea what this is going to do to your career? Do you have any idea? Why did you do that? Well, he asked me to do it. He asked you to do it. So if you jump out, monkey see, monkey do. If he jumps off a bridge, you jumping off too? So all of a sudden, it's between you and that person. And the narcissistic leader who caused it all to happen is sitting in the office just acting like nothing ever happened. And then on top of that, you start to become, you, you, you became public enemy number one when you asked a question. But now, now, you have been probably deemed public enemy number one in so many words to the rest of the staff. And before you know it, everybody is asking questions. But the chaos isn't necessarily people getting at each other. The chaos is people asking questions that just never get answered. And nobody on the staff has any answers for this stuff. The threats to the vision for the narcissistic leaders, it becomes they become personal threats. And these 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 threats are not meant to take the event down and it's not meant to take the leader down. It's people trying to protect the interest of the organization. But the narcissistic leader doesn't like that because the narcissistic leader does not want you questioning what he or she is doing. Now for McFarland, I would love to be a fly on the wall. If you remember Mark Weinstein from the Netflix documentary, Mark Weinstein seemed pretty feisty and Mark Weinstein is uh, he, he is a festival consultant. I would love to be a fly on the wall to, to hear, or I would love to have been a fly on the wall to have heard those discussions. Because I'm sure those were some very, very, very intense discussions. And Mark Weinstein is the one who had to go to Grant Margolin when they were about to draft some crazy letter to the customers for Fire Festival. Mark Weinstein was the one who had to go to him and say, don't you tell one more lie about, uh, about this festival don't tell them that things are out of your control right you remember when he said that so now we enter firek.com when the employees were really concerned and were upset because they didn't know what was going on they're getting all this information they're trying to figure out what the deal is and they're upset and what did mark weinstein say mark weinstein said that at that point mcfarland decided to conduct a witch hunt meeting boom with a narcissistic leader there is always a witch hunt when people start to disagree with him or with her this is where the lies and manipulation really really start to ramp up right so for McFarlane 
What, let's not, let, I mean, there were so many lies. I mean, you just you couldn't keep up anymore. You know, the festival amenities, the location, um, the uh, music line up, uh, the lying to the financiers, lying about his Facebook stocks, all that good stuff. And then as this as this gets worse, the narcissistic leader starts to get less and less empathetic. Right. And so what happened with the fire staff? He fired them. The Exuma workers did not get paid. And then there is Andy King's infamous story. By the way, you're listening to the Four Hour Edification Podcast. I'm Eddie Francis, and we're talking about um, narcissistic leadership and what you need to look out for so that you can protect your neck. So Andy King from the Netflix documentary. If you don't know this story, Andy King uh, is, um, I, I think, an event coordinator. I think that's what he does for a living. Um, and he knew uh, he knew Billy McFarlane or he knows Billy McFarlane. Nobody's dead. Um, he knows Billy McFarlane and he knows him from back. And, and Andy King really seemed to admire McFarlane, at least admire his skill, his background, his intellect, all of that good stuff. And Andy King tells a story in a documentary on Netflix that in order to get some supplies that were needed for the festival, McFarlane asked him to go to a government official in Exuma and to do a sexual favor. Now, my first reaction to that was, dude, you're professional. I mean, he himself mentioned that he had been in the business for about 30 years. So I'm sitting here going, you're a professional. Why would you even entertain doing it? Because he did say that he went to his hotel room, he washed up and he got ready to go to the official and do the do, right? And I'm sitting here going, man, I mean, you know, you, you're seasoned. Why would you even consider this? But then I had to think about it. It is very consistent in the research and very consistent with my professional experiences that narcissists are manipulators from way back okay they love manipulation like a new orleanian loves a good overstuffed shrimp pull boy i mean they live off manipulation and it really starts to take root in the self-importance part of the spectrum but it really hits in that vulnerability part and what I believe, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're the type of person who says that Andy King should have known better and, and he, you know, he shouldn't have done that. Let's think about it this way. Andy King really seemed to want this thing to happen. He wanted to protect McFarland. I mean, after all, he described himself as the Billy McFarland whisperer, right? So he really wanted this thing to happen. But I think also because this man is a professional, he, he was thinking about high paying customers he was thinking about the fact that they were so far into the process and a lot of money had been spent. He had gone to all these financiers, all these capital, all these venture capitalists had been uh, backing McFarland and, and they were just too far gone in the process. And to me, what McFarland did, since he knew Andy King was there to really work with him, what McFarland did was he used Andy King's professionalism and he used his dedication against him to ask him to do something that is completely unprofessional. And I think while I think while it just seems insane that number one, King would even tell that story, um, maybe to some people it seems insane, but I think while it seems insane, it's a good thing that he told it because it really shines a light, not on McFarlane, but on narcissistic leaders as a whole. That story that King told is not an unusual type of story. I've heard some very interesting stories from people who said, I can't believe what this person asked me to do to save his skin, to save her skin. I can't believe it. Now, the interesting X factor in all of this, and I want to come back to this. The interesting uh, X factor in all of this um, is the, the way that McFarlane just, 
ignored so much practical advice because Firefest was about him. And in coming, in coming back to that point, there are two terms that I think align with narcissistic leadership, especially at this stage. And one term that was used in the Netflix uh, documentary was operational sociopath. But then in, I believe in both documentaries, the term pathological was used. Thanks again for downloading this edition of For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis. So this is where uh, we land with you, the organizational member, when it comes down to narcissistic leadership. Um, there's a researcher who took a look at three levels of uh, narcissistic leadership, um, and her name is Suzanne Braun. And, and, and what she looked at um, were the levels of the leader-follower relationship, the one-on-one -on -one relationship, the team relationship, and then the bigger organizational level of leadership. And overall, one of the things that she found in her research is that things begin nicely with the narcissistic leaders, but they tend to deteriorate over time on all levels. Now, in the leader-follower uh, relationship on that level, the negative effects are mainly on uh, members' emotions, productivity, and commitment. And that's why this commentary is so important, um, because... If you have had to deal with a narcissistic leader one-on-one, -on -one, especially one who is malignant um, and tends to bully, then this is where you get affected. There's other research that shows that the people who tend to be um, prone to narcissistic abuse on the job are people with low self-esteem. And so if you are unsure of yourself, this leader-follower dynamic could really, really adversely affect you and your career. Now, with work teams, the perception is that the leadership can be positive, but what happens is that the narcissistic leader hinders collaboration. So if we go back to self-importance, when the narcissistic leader starts to reach into the team, reach into the department and starts to try to dictate the way things could go and even starts to cause a little chaos. But then the organizational uh, level is the one where it's most interesting because narcissistic leaders will take high risks uh, to make sure that the organization can benefit. That is in terms of image. Why? Why are they so worried about the organization? Well, because if the organization looks good, I look good. Or it could be if I look good, the organization looks good. But the problem is, is that the damage is done to the organizational culture in the process, especially when it comes down to looking at the teams, uh, when it looks like the, the individual leader follower relationships. And then also on an organizational level, um, well, no, this really goes back to teams. Going back to teams, if you think about a narcissistic leader and the executive team, um, you know, it gets really dicey there as well, because, again, the collaboration among the other executives that has really, really been compromised by the narcissistic leadership. But this organizational level thing is so interesting to me because I'm, I'm actually watching this develop with one person I used to work for. And in this situation, this person has the organization looking great. I mean, the PR is fantastic, but I have to wonder because I know a lot of other people who have been very displeased with their experience working with this person. And I have to wonder what will happen if all of these people came out and said something about the leadership? Will everybody become public enemy number one? And I think the answer is yes. I think there are a lot of people who, who outside of the organization, who don't know the inner workings, would take a look at it and say, no, this person has done great things with this organization. Why would you ever say a bad thing about this person? What is wrong with you? After all this person has done for you. And you're sitting here going, yeah, but let me tell you what this person did to me. But the organization looks good. And as far as the general public is concerned, that's all you need. Does the organization look good? Great. But you know who tends to be on to narcissistic leaders are other leaders. Because there are the leaders who take a look at the inner workings of the organization and they're saying, yeah, well, everything looks good, but there's some poison beneath the surface. And so... For you as an organizational member, what that does is that puts you on guard and, and you have to hold on to the secret. And you almost wind up being, and, I, and I've heard this analogy used before, you wind up being like a domestic abuse survivor who's walking around 
holding on to this secret about stuff that was done to you by this narcissistic leader. And if you dare tell anybody publicly what happened, you better watch out because people most likely will not believe you. Whoo, that was a lot of information. So to be sure, props to the op-ed project, um, to be sure, um, there are a couple of things I want to mention about narcissistic leadership uh, because we, we've talked about it mostly from a negative standpoint here, uh, looking at what McFarland did. And I would really be interested in what an expert has to say about what kind of narcissist they believe McFarland is. But when it comes down to it, narcissism and leadership may not necessarily be a bad thing. There are a lot of people who are in uh, positions of power who will tell you that in order to get to those positions, you actually have to be narcissistic to some extent, right? And there's a, a landmark piece about narcissistic leadership that was written in 2000. The Harvard Business Review ran this piece um, in 2004. It was written by uh, Michael McCoby or Maccabee. I'm batting a thousand with the names today. Um, but in that piece, he actually separated narcissists into two types, um, productive, um, and, and not so productive, right? And so when it comes down to the productive narcissist, you know, he actually argued that those are the types of narcissists who are necessary and they're not necessarily harmful. So two of his examples were Jeff Bezos and Jack Welch. Now I would bring up someone else as a productive narcissist and that's, uh, Barack Obama. Um, uh, you know, I, I have every reason to believe that this man loves himself like nothing else and, and everything else. And I have every reason to believe that it wasn't always nice and rosy in the white house. Cause we got the really nice image of Obama and that sort of thing. But I wouldn't be surprised if people have some Obama horror stories and I'm sure there are a few of them out there with Obama horror stories. However, with a productive narcissist, you know, his argument is that you have to look at the overall body of work. How do they walk away from that situation or how do people as a whole walk away? So, yeah, you have a few people who might have had negative experiences, but most people, most people are going to say, listen, he had his ways, but it worked out and I'm fine. I have a better gig now because he helped me or she helped me and that sort of thing. Um, another one would be Steve Jobs, I think, who would probably be thrown into the productive narcissist um, uh, pan because he is definitely described uh, as a narcissist. But research also suggests to be sure that narcissists may not feel that they're doing anything wrong. And that was one of the arguments about Billy McFarland, that he didn't necessarily uh, believe that he did anything wrong. And he, he probably still doesn't believe that he's done anything wrong. So let's talk about you. What can you do? Having laid all of this out, how can you protect yourself from that narcissistic leader? Well, the first thing that I would say is do your homework. Researchers believe that narcissism is an actual epidemic. So know that the personality type is somewhat normalized in our society right now. Don't get caught off guard. Do your homework and figure out what kind of person you're dealing with. Um, that will help you develop a strategy. The second thing that I would say is invest in yourself. Um, excel at your job because that is your bargaining chip. The better you are at your job, the more protected you are when this person tries to say that you didn't do a good job. Or if you're going to go ahead and bounce, you got it on your resume, you did a great job, you recorded on your resume, you get going. Listen, as a recruiter, I always tell people this. If somebody doesn't want to get you, give you credit for the good work you've done, your resume should be able to give you credit for the good work you've done. But then also practice self-care. Do not self-medicate. When I say self-care, the healthy stuff, the walking, the eating well drinking lots of water that sounds corny but i gotta tell you it can really work practice emotional intelligence don't fight fire with fire listen i pointed out that narcissists love chaos if they love chaos what do you think fighting fire with fire is going to do now it may make you feel good in the short run but in the long run it may not serve you well and then be confident in yourself. Trust your instincts. Like I said before, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it is a narcissistic duck. Third thing, set boundaries. Protect your workspace. 
consult with human resources to figure out what it is that you have to do to literally, literally protect your workspace. Because remember, I said that the narcissistic leader likes to likes to reach into your area and 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 just kind of mess around with a few things um when you are leaving work as far as setting boundaries is concerned when you're leaving work leave work leave work when you leave work um if you work from home log off when it is time to log off but here's the biggest thing and this is tricky don't jump when the narcissistic leader says jump because what they'll do what that'll do is that'll enable them to train you and that's going to lead me into the fourth thing that would be be strategic and mentally present in your interactions this actually goes back to emotional intelligence as well um play up to the narcissist's empathy I know that one of the characteristics of narcissism is a lack of empathy, but actually they, they can be empathetic, especially if you have someone who's not a malignant narcissist. Um, they, when, when you catch them in that moment of empathy, then, then go with that, go with that and, and talk about you and talk about the effect on you and, and how things may be affecting you and what would help you do better in your work. Um, what would help you be more productive? What will help you bring in the money that the company needs, right? Uh, research does show that uh, narcissists actually have cognitive deficiencies. So they may not honestly realize what they're doing. And so playing to that empathy really, really could be, uh, it, it could be a lifesaver for you. And again, I can't stress this enough, uh, you know, being mentally present in the interactions, don't, don't fight fire with fire. And the last thing that I would say, and this is your last resort, of course, if you got to get to moving, then go ahead, get to moving. And that is it. Thank you so much for downloading this edition of For Our Edification, especially if you've done it at the headquarters of For Our Edification. That would be Podbean. But then if you download it from iTunes or Google Play as well, thank you so much. Again, again, I can't stress this enough. Go ahead and check out the first six episodes of For Our Edification. And then also when you get an opportunity, rate those episodes, give us some feedback. We love feedback. And by all means, share with your friends share it on social media if you're sitting next to somebody on the subway hey check this out listen and whatever it is just make sure that you share this edition of for our edification i'm eddie francis for my lovely wife and my partner in crime halima lee francis thank you again blessings